This is WMNF Tampa, and this is True Talk. Welcome to True Talk on WMNF 88.5, um, hosted and produced at WMNF. Today is um, Thursday, and I'm actually blanking on what day Thursday January is. January 18th, yeah, Ahmed. <laughs> January 18th. Thank God I'm always around to help you and Bailey. Yes, uh, my co-host Samar is always around to help me. Thursday, January 18th. On today's program, we're continuing our weekly coverage about what's happening in Gaza and also here in the United States as it relates to that. We're honored to have with us Russia Mubarak. Russia is a Palestinian-American activist and longtime community worker. She's Palestinian-American and Muslim community activist. She's been working in this for a really long time. Um, well, let's just say more than 15 years. She's born in Brooklyn, New York, and was raised in the heart of Central Florida, uh, also known as Orlando. Russia is a grassroots organizer and political advocate for nation, uh, on a national, for national and statewide issues as well as local political uh, issues. So uh, thank you for joining us, Russia. Thank you so much for having me, Ahmed and Samad. Wow. What a time. Right. Yeah, it is a difficult time. And you've been really busy, as many Palestinian uh, activists have been in uh, since October 7th. Of course, you've been doing this uh, way before that. How are things different now after October 7th compared to your work before? Well, what we've seen is that the slow genocide of 75 years has moved into a rabid and barbaric genocide in over 100 days, taking the lives of over 30,000 Palestinians Every single day in this genocide feels like a different era. Um, so I know that you all know this, that the root cause of this violence goes way before October 7th. The root cause of this violence is a 16-year siege on Gaza. It is a 75-year occupation of the Palestinian people. It is the thousands of Palestinian political prisoners. It is the denial of the right of return. So we understand that this work has moved full force. This, unfortunately, as Palestinians, we don't get to carve out time to grieve. We channel that grief and pain into power, and we are pushing for a scratch on the surface, which is ceasefire now, permanent and immediate ceasefire. But we also understand that it's comma, lift the Caesar on Gaza, comma, end the 75-year occupation of the Palestinian people, Kama, free them all, and of course, free Palestine. So this work um, continues. And as, as you know, not just as Palestinians, but as Arab, as Muslims, as Arab Christians, as Black, Brown, Indigenous folks, people of conscience, um, we're not stopping until there's a, an immediate and permanent ceasefire. When you say free Palestine, you know, Kama, free Palestine, to my surprise and to others, uh, some in Washington and politicians and people in the media think that that's somehow anti-Semitic. And people have even gone further to claim that when you chant or call for to free Palestine, that means it's somehow genocide or violence against Jews. What does free Palestine mean? Free Palestine means to free Palestinians of Israelis occupation, oppression, disposal, this disposing of Palestinians, ethnically cleansing the Palestinian people, their state-sanctioned violence against the Palestinian people. 
what we're seeing is a global divide, global disconnect between the, the international outcry and, and Western systems and Western media. And there's a clear disconnect. I think most there's polls that show most Americans and residents in this country are actually starting to connect the dots and to understand, and they're actually leaning towards saving lives. So now what we're seeing is that you can no longer deny the footage and video and horrific pictures coming out of Gaza. So these systems are doing what they were meant to do, which is distract. So to use that kind of a deflection and gaslighting is meant to distract and redirect um, people from understanding what's happening on the ground but it's completely and entirely undeniable. And that is why there's so much demonstrations, protests within the US. You're seeing the boycott, the and sanctions amplified. You're seeing civil disobedience, direct action. People are not going around business per usual. So free Palestine means exactly that, to ensure that Palestinians have self-determination, dignity, um, the right of return to live freely, safely, securely on their own homeland, to not be pushed out of their homes, to not be the sole survivor of their of their families, um, and to be to remain on their own homeland. And what we're seeing is that the intent of Zionism has always been clear in its commission. It is to sever the bloodlines of generations of Palestinians to erase. Palestinians and to ethnically cleanse Palestinians and to remove them from their homeland. Some of our listeners see, uh, hearing this may be surprised um, or by the type of language, because oftentimes when we bring up Zionism, they right away say, well, you're being, again, these constant accusations of anti-Semitism. Uh, what's the problem uh, with Zionism from a Palestinian perspective? So Zionism, since its inception, the intent has been clear and their pathway to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians has been moving forward and it's been rabid, more rabid in the last over 100 days. Um, to see 30,000 Palestinians be murdered and killed, if they're not being um, bombed, or shot by snipers in the West Bank, they're being, and they're not being bombed in Gaza, then they're being starved to death. They're, they're freezing to death by Israel's oppressive systems. Um, the Jewish allies are one of our biggest allies. Jew, the Jewish community is actually saying not in our name, and they're saying never again for anyone. And it's clear it's important that Zionism is it was an ideology that was now an empire and regime that is used to displace, dispossess, and murder Palestinians. Uh, so speaking of, um, I don't know, there's some feedback, but um, no, it's not not there anymore. Um, Speaking of that, of what's happening with this uh, genocide, uh, were you surprised by how far the governor of Florida, DeSantis, is going to provide support for this ongoing genocide? Um, I mean, we already knew that he was very much uh, pro-Israel um, and, and, you know, ultra right wing. But 
some of the actions they did, including sending um, airplanes with um, tactical weapons or gear or flying people out. Um, were you surprised by that? And how has the Palestinian American community, have, how have you and your organization responded to that? Not surprised. Governor DeSantis is a fascist. Um, his value system is anti-human, anti-humanity. He is he has always operated in, in white supremacy values. So not surprised. I, I think when it comes to Palestine, unfortunately, is that Palestine, Palestinian human rights tends to be abandoned on both sides of the aisle. Now, Florida being one of the most racist states with one of the most racist governors who continues to attack black and brown communities in his own state, of course, he is extending that to Palestinians on their own homeland. And of course, Palestinians are his own residents. So continuing to pass anti-Palestinian legislation, I mean, Florida, to your point, um, is one of the states that has the highest percentage that sends the most aid to Israel from our taxpaying dollars. Instead of using his energy to combat, you know, severe issues locally, like people experiencing homelessness or houselessness, people that don't have access to healthcare, people that are working two to three jobs that are in student debt. These are issues. So it is very much a local issue. And he's made it more local when he's used our taxpaying dollars, not just after October 7th, but historically in his anti-Palestinian um, policies and legislation that he continued to further advance. I mean, it's the pa anti-Palestinian rhetoric, anti-Arab racism, Islamophobia, all of that has heightened and including anti-Semitism. And that comes from the pro-Israel stances because many of our allies, many pro-Palestine organizers are, are Jewish, they are black, they are indigenous. This is not just a Palestinian, Arab, Muslim, Christian issue. This is um, very interconnected and residents of Florida are pushing back and saying that they will continue to fight for freedom and liberation for all people that's inclusive of Palestinians. So it's always been people saying right. Well, maybe ex expected that DeSantis would take such a hard line towards supporting Israel. It was for many uh, Democrats, uh, especially progressives, mm -hmm. uh, disappointing how far the Democratic establishment in Tallahassee is basically not much that different than DeSantis. Uh, we saw during the legislative session or that special session, how they ostracized uh, Representative Nixon mm -hmm. uh, for just suggesting to you know, a resolution for um, you know ceasefire or others, and she was attacked not only by Republicans but also Democrats within her own party. And being a black woman, mm -hmm. it was very difficult to to watch that happen. And none of her colleagues uh, from her caucus, especially from the black caucus, stood up to support her. I think there was just only one other representative uh, that uh, voted with her. Was that a surprise or, and it's, you know, what can, what can voters or what can residents do about this type of just consensus where those parties don't agree on much except on this one issue? It seems like they 
have that consensus. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very violent to see that happened on the House floor when State Representative Angie Nixon uh, made such a compelling speech into pushing for a ceasefire resolution. Her bravery, how bold, unapologetic she was, only was, like you said, there, there was only one other representative that voted with her, but also the response. She said, how many Palestinians have to die? And someone, said all of them. So they are not only calling for the genocide of the Palestinian people, but they are encouraging and pushing and absolutely um, supportive of it. Yes, the Republicans, but also the Democrats. But the Florida legislator has always been a anti-Palestinian hub. I, I think that there's an Israeli flag waving in the Florida legislature, right? And this is not new. 2014 anti-Palestinian resolutions were passed. 2016 anti-BDS legislation passed. There was only four or five no votes that came out of central Florida. And the JCRC was able to identify that and came and sent someone to disrupt um, our advocacy here to the point where in 2018, the, the legislation passed unanimously, which was equating the um, anti-Semitism with the criticism of Israel. And now we're seeing an extension of it being proposed right now in session. So Democrats uh, in Florida specifically have always been in alignment with um, anti-Palestinian, anti-human stances. Uh, It's shameful. It's horrifying. Uh, Also, outside of Tallahassee, you know, there was 22 Democrats um, on the House in, in, in Congress that censored Rashida Tlaib, the, con- the only Palestinian in Congress, and five of them came from the Florida delegation, if not more. So a large makeup of the 22 Democrats that voted to censor the Congresswoman came out of Florida. This is reprehensible. It is telling that these aren't people-centered representation or representatives in Congress, they don't represent the Florida voice at all. Let me just remind our listeners that this is True Talk on WMNF 88.5 FM. We're talking to Russia Mubarak, an activist and uh, from who is uh, American uh, of uh, Palestinian uh, descent. Thank you very much, Russia, for being with us. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a feeling that uh, both the Democratic and the Republican Party, but maybe I can say more the Democratic Party, they're not listening to their base because everybody's talking about Generation Z. You can see them in the demonstrations. I can see them in my backyard here in Southwest Florida. Very young people and they come from very different backgrounds. I have Uh, I am on a group of these young people. There are some actually are Israeli from Israel. Uh, There is a Jewish lady, young lady with young kids. She's married to an Israeli. They are always in these demonstrations. You have Americans, no relation whatsoever with Arabs or Muslims. They're just Americans. And like you said, they were able to see 
for themselves from the images coming that it does not make any sense. There is no excuse mm -hmm. for a, a doctor to amputate a, a thousand limbs without anesthesia and without pain medication. Mm -hmm. Aren't these two uh, parties really jeopardizing their base? They're going to lose it maybe in the new, the second, the, the coming election. Mm -hmm. uh, these young people are not going to vote for either party. Do you see that as an as a activist in the community? Yeah, absolutely. I think the no ceasefire, no vote is clear. And people are committed to that. People are committed to skipping the top of the ticket. People um, and groups and organizations. And to your point, it's not just Palestinians. Mm -hmm. or it is Black, Brown, Indigenous, young people, um, Jewish voters, the Latinx voters. These are all people, reparal rights, climate justice, um, LGBTQ communities that are saying that they're no longer going to vote for the cleaner, dirty shirt. They're no longer going to vote for the candidate that further advances the genocide of any people and of the Palestinian people. And there's this false um, notion that we're going to forget come November, 2024. And that's absolutely not the case. And people, Democrats especially, they, people are no longer going to, again, choose a cleaner, dirty shirt. And they're no longer going to um, guilt people into believing that this is one issue. In fact, one person left behind is far too many. One community left behind is far too many. But more than that, this is absolutely a local issue. This impacts, if we understand the Palestinian issue to be interconnected and intersectional as it is, then it, it, it impacts Florida residents, it impacts residents and voters in this country. And of course, the Palestinians that are continuing to face um, the state-sanctioned violence by Israel that's backed by the U.S. Not only is you know the U.S. Um, not calling for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, uh, they're doubling down. And it's disturbing, it's horrifying, and I think people are no longer going to accept it. They understand that silence is violence, and it's no longer going to be um, on us as communities, as a um, marginalized communities to continue to vote for um, vote for candidates or elected officials that are going to kill and displace our people. So it's important for Democrats, especially in Florida, to really reflect on why they're running for office, what it means for them. Because to you and Ahmed's point is that after October 7th, people are no longer looking at electoral politics the same. And people are starting to really connect the dots and understand that this is everybody's issue and that we will continue to fight. And it's always been the masses of people that have continued to win. These systems were never built for us. These systems were never meant for us. These systems were meant to kill and murder and displace black and brown bodies within the US and outside the US. And now it's just becoming more clear for folks. Mm -hmm. And it's the interconnectedness between the Palestinian struggle and other struggles are, is not new. It's just amplified now. And if one thing that we're seeing is that the only thing that they're concerned or worried about is um, how people are showing up on election day. 
And for us, we're never going to forget. We will always remember. And we're going to support the candidates that remembered the Palestinian people after. Some people, uh, sorry, Russia, but some, um, it, it comes to mind every time that so, so, some people say, but if we do not vote or if we vote uh, against the, um, the Democratic Party, in particular Joe Biden, get him out of office, that might bring in uh, Trump uh, is the um, Muslim community or Arab Americans or Palestinians or minorities are ready really for another four years of Trump. It's a valid question. Also, let's say, yes, we're not going to forget and we're not going to vote for Biden, maybe write a note or something. I'm not sure what people want to do. But will the Democratic Party know that this loss is also because of uh, the Democratic Party uh, blind support to the uh, genocide going on in Gaza? Yeah, I mean, again, so this is, I think what people are seeing now is that they can no longer put the burden on on people that have voted um, for the lesser of two evils or cleaner dirty shirt. They're, we're just not there anymore. And I think that that's, if, if Trump is voted in again, that's on the White House Democrats right now. And I think that what people will do is that they will focus on local elections. They will focus on amendments on the ballot. They will focus on candidates on a local state and federal level that have supported at least a ceasefire. Um, so I, I don't think that people are going to be sitting out entirely and completely. They will, what they will do is redirect naturally their energy to the support because we understand that city, state, local, federal, they do advance in, in, in their political careers. So we want to make sure that we're supporting the people that continue to support the Palestinian people. And it's not, we're not living in a time where it's hard. There's genocide in the backdrop, right? There's literally a genocide in the backdrop. You and I and Ahmed have been on this call for 22 minutes, right? So divide that by four. That's how many Palestinians have been murdered just in our, you know, mini radio talk show. So I think that people can no longer um, accept that this is, if Trump is elected, that is not the fault on people of conscience. Right. Um, and it's it's really difficult. Um, yesterday, I was also watching, I think it was yesterday on the Senate floor, Bernie Sanders introduced a resolution um, calling on the State Department to do some sort of fact-finding report to see how American weapons that the United States is providing to Israel, if it's in line with American law, which basically says it cannot be used against civilians, it cannot violate human rights. What's so frustrating about that is they would, his own Democratic colleagues voted uh, with the Republicans to not even allow the vote. Like they would could, it was, they did, it's like a vote before the vote. So they wouldn't even get to the vote. And people that were like Senator Cardin were saying things like this would be, this would uh, be some sort of indictment of Israel. Well, if Israel's doing everything correctly, then why would this be an indictment? But it just, you know, I was uh, a delegate to for Bernie Sanders at the 2016, you know, convention, 
there was a lot of hope. Um, I've been a political activist for some time, but when you see things like that, I mean, even for me, it becomes so frustrating that, you know, something is wrong with the system. Now imagine mm-hmm. the average person, imagine the average Arab. Are you worried that they're not going to, because you're hearing from so many people like, hey, it's not going to make a difference. Um, no, is, the system is rigged because they see it. Like you vote, we voted for Obama and things didn't change much, especially it changed for some people, but not for Arabs or Palestinians. Um, you know, we voted for Biden, same thing. So it's what, what do we do? People are asking that question. Obviously, I mean, you touched up on it already. Yes, as far as the presidential race, they may not, you know, maybe they may leave it blank or they vote something else or a third party. But do you think people that will even discourage you from churning out? Yeah, I mean, I think we all know this, right? We've even a lot of us who do political work, we do it with the understanding that the electoral process alone will not liberate us. Right. So we understand that it is a piece to the pathway to liberation and freedom for all people. So we have to continue to protest, to have rallies, demonstrations, disrupt business as usual, direct actions, boycotts. And yes, the part of it is electoral work, electoral processes. But with the understanding that that's just a piece of it, the advocacy all of that is important. Educational, having round tables, having conversations with communities, um, teach-ins. So I think that people are moving with the understanding that when it comes to specific elector, like specifically electorally, that they will vote for those who stood with the Palestinians. I think that um, I would encourage people to focus on local elections, uh, to focus on local candidates, elected officials, whether it was city, state, or federal, that showed up for the Palestinians. But also more than that, to get social justice organizations to take a pledge that if they have C4s or if they have PACs, that Palestine is included and is part of their platform. It is part of their endorsement processes, that this should be collective and having educational and uh, pledge, pledge programs with organizational work and groups and and community work. So there's there's a lot of work ahead of us and a lot of it is education. A lot of it is building coalition and grassroots organizing. We understand that when we go out to the streets, it's not just to protest or to demonstrate, it's to build coalition, it's to build people power, it's to further advance how we show up. Um, so I think that doing all of that is is the right thing to do. And people are moving with that understanding. There are going to be people that sit out of the elections. And and I think that that is just the, the outcome of how the Biden administration and Democrats showed up. I don't think it's okay to force people, especially people that have lost over 70 members of their family to further, you know, advance that kind of system. Again, these systems are not meant for us. These systems are doing what they were meant to do. We have to continue to disrupt. And there's different avenues. um, And that could be focusing locally. That could be education, teaching um, elected officials what, you know, the Nekva is, what the catastrophe of 1948 is, what is settler colonialism. Like having these conversations and understanding how it shows up, not just in Palestine, Mm -hmm 
how it's showing up in the systems here, especially in Florida and nationally. This week marks 100 days um, since October 7th and since the bombardment of Gaza. Of course, it also marks 100 days since um, Hamas-led militants went into, um, um, you know, carried out the the, the attack um, into uh, Israel. And now, uh, President Biden issued a statement marking the 100 days, uh, only talked about the Israeli side and the hostages that are still uh, being held in Gaza, but not anything about Palestinians, nothing about the 25,000 or, you know, some numbers as high as 20 or 30,000 people killed, mostly women and children, over 10,000 children killed. Not a single word, not even the word Palestinian is mentioned in the 100 days. Um, what was your response to that? What are you hearing from the community? I mean, people are rightfully so outraged. The This is part of the erasure, is not even being able to mention, like you said, the word Palestine or Palestinians. The, this is part of the tactics of Zionism and Israel's. It is to condition people to be, to dehumanize Palestinians so much that they accept and are conditioned to believe that Palestinians deserve to be killed, murdered, and displaced. So that kind of messaging is actually aligned with the tactics, the genocidal tactics. It's how they further advance. When you're not mentioning Palestinians or Palestine, mm-hmm. uh, there's a dehumanization component to it. It's dehumanizing. You are taking you are removing the humanity of a group of people. You're not even, they're not by not even mentioning them. And then you are just deflecting to, con- to what, the, what it's not about, which is like you said, it's a genocide of 30,000 Palestinians murdered just within a hundred days. And that's not even mentioned. So the tactic is to be- have people believe that the root cause of the violence is what President Biden is mentioning. And we all understand that it's not that. So this is just how they continue to move forward, how they try to attempt to conceal the reality. But the reality is a nightmare for all of us, but it is a reality for the Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank. But we will continue to disrupt um, that messaging, the policies, the legislation, and we will continue to demand for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, regardless of how President Biden and the White House try to um, define what's been happening the last hundred days. To the American people, mm -hmm. residents, and people are no longer having it. Right. And um, when people, when you say this erasure is happening, and by the way, if you're listening to us on the podcast or live today. Um, this You're hearing the voice of Russia Mubarak, our guest today. She's a Palestinian-American activist uh, based in uh, Central Florida and Orlando, but uh, is working on issues nationwide uh, right now surrounding Palestine and what's happening in Gaza. Um, so Russia, uh, when you're speaking of this erasure that's happening by the politicians and the media, to not even recognize that there's something called Palestine or Palestinians or acknowledge the death of so many Palestinians in Gaza, 
And those that are speaking out, including yourself and others, allies, whether they're in a Jewish community or other communities, um, the politicians and the media are trying to depict these protests and this uh, speaking out as some sort of pro-Hamas or anti-Semitic. They've even gone as far as calling it pro-genocide, that especially student groups on campuses are somehow calling for the genocide of Jews by uh, calling for ceasefire or calling for the end of the violence or calling for the end of the occupation. Are you dismayed by this attack on free speech, especially on college campuses, which we've seen here in Florida, but also it's happening nationwide? Yeah, I'm dismayed, but I'm not surprised. This is a historical strategy that they've always and continue to use, which is trying to silence the voices of pro-Palestine or pro-justice, pro-freedom, pro-liberation, activist groups, organizers. And not only are they attempting to silence and intimidate um, and, and bully truth seekers, is they're trying to also potentially criminalize students on campus. There's no way that people who practice and use common sense or any kind of logic will believe that words promoting ceasefire, demands calling on a ceasefire, an immediate end to Israel's aggression is more violent than the actual genocide. That's just, there's just no way to try to stretch that far that people calling for justice, liberation, and um, the end to the murder, displacement, the genocide of Palestinians. There's no way that people of conscience will actually believe that the push for a ceasefire um, is more infuriating than the actual genocide of the Palestinian people. And trying to message it in that way should be unsettling for everyone. There's, there's the calls for a ceasefire and then actual genocide and the murder of thousands, thousands 30,000 Palestinians within 100 days. It, it, I don't think that's going to work anymore. It's actually not working anymore. The polls are showing that. Yeah, especially not working for young people that are seeing those the real images coming out of Gaza. But for somehow, for some reason, older generations and other communities, and the wider you are, no offense to our white listeners, they seem to be buying these things uh, somehow that, yeah, like you said, you know, calling for using your voice cannot be as bad as the actual murder and the actual genocide that's happening. And they can't be, you know, they can't be equated. But uh, thank you so much, Rasha Mubarak, for joining us and for continuing, um, you know, to be an advocate for justice. Uh, and um, how can people get involved with activities that you're doing in Florida? Yeah. So if you're interested in getting involved specifically, um, in Florida, we have the Florida Palestine Network. You can check us out on Instagram, follow. Uh, we have actions happening across the state. We work with different coalitions and organizations across the state doing this work, whether it's protests, demonstrations, teach-ins, um, boycotts, 
all of the above advocacy, pushing for a ceasefire, pushing to an end to the genocide. There's also the anti-genocide coalition specifically in mm -hmm. Central Florida where we're pushing Congressman Darren Soto to join the ceasefire resolution. We're pushing Congressman Maxwell Frost who signed on to the ceasefire to vote no against military aid and arming Israel. Um, so there's different organizations to get involved in specifically. Nationally, we encourage you to visit U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, the Palestinian Feminist Collective, so many advocacy groups. Uh, there's just no more excuse, y'all. You got to get involved, make sure your voice is heard. Um, and thank you both for using your platform in this space to really uplift the importance of calling on an immediate and permanent ceasefire of Israel's aggression. Free Palestine. Inshallah. Thank you, Russia. Thank you we so appreciate. much, Russia. Take care. That was uh, Russia Mubarak. Uh, interesting conversation. She's been working in the community for so long, and we're happy to have her on. You can also find her on, um, I guess, Instagram and all the platforms. Just search for Russia Mubarak. And Summer, we have another guest that's going to join us, right? Yeah, we, we keep talking, Ahmed, about uh, Generation Z and talk about the young people and how uh, the both parties are not really listening to the base. And today I'm very happy that we have with us uh, Julia Abushar, who is an American uh, of uh, both Palestinian and Egyptian uh, uh, background. I paid attention to something she wrote uh, and was published at uh, Counterpunch. And I think the title is A Voice That Doesn't Belong perspective on of an American uh, born Palestinian. I'm very happy, Julia, that you took the time. Julia, I think, is a pre-med student is studying uh, medicine uh, and she lives in New York. Uh, good to have you, Julia, with us on uh, True Talk. What made you write uh, this very, very, very touching piece, uh, very powerful, um, very deep because I know your background in a way that you're born in America, uh, your father was born in uh, uh, West Jerusalem, you are from a Christian family on both your mom's side and your dad's side, but then you grew up here, you've never been to Palestine, you don't even speak Arabic, you don't even know the Palestinian accent, yet you were so compelled to write about what is going on with you as a young American feeling maybe out of place because of what is going on. So Julia, uh, you can start wherever you want. Yes, well, writing something about um, the Palestinian cause, especially since um, the escalation of the genocide on October 7th, it's been something that I've wanted to do for quite some time, I wasn't quite sure how to tackle it because there are so many people um, with more experience in me, not just in journalism, but being witnesses to what's happening on the front lines of this genocide. I wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And as this escalation happened, as the genocide just got so much worse, and as I was witnessing it in real time and organizing with other students at my university, it caused me to do some internal reflection on some feelings that I've had for a very long time 
um, of a sort of disconnect between people who people who have a more, I guess, traditionally Arab situation than mine. And I sort of had this realization with myself, maybe around mid-November or so, that although I'm definitely part of this movement and I am Palestinian by ethnicity as well as Egyptian and my family is from Palestine, it felt as if I almost didn't belong with the community because of these factors that increasingly separated me from other members of the community. The fact that I was not only born in America, but raised to speak English, that, uh, that my family is historically Orthodox Christian, that, um, that we never really lived in a Middle Eastern neighborhood either, that I do not speak Arabic at this time. All of these factors felt like they were further separating me from the cause to the point where I had to do this internal reflection of if I don't feel like I deserve to be part of this cause because I do not have the experiences and situations where I was born in as these other activists, then surely there must be countless other people like myself who almost feel like they're not Arab enough, but not white enough either, which is, I'm sure, a very, it's a very common thing for children of parents in America to feel that they're not quite in tune with their parents' ethnicity, but not quite white enough to fit in in America either. And I realized that there must be countless people like me who feel this hesitancy, who feel this disconnect, but aren't sure how to articulate it. So that's why I wrote the piece to try and connect myself with the people out there who are in a similar situation to me, who are not sure or not able to articulate this feeling of separation and sort of reassure them that they do belong in this movement. We all belong in this movement and we all need to use our voices no matter what, because even if we think we aren't Arab enough, our opposition seeing us, just the fact that we ally with Palestine, not even the fact that we come from Palestine ourselves, it's enough for them to consider us terrorists. So if we're so easily considered terrorists by our opposition, then we need to almost embrace that, use that as our way of saying, if you're going to consider us terrorist sympathizers so easily, then there is no reason for us to not join this movement despite our own insecurities. Uh, Julia, you raised so many, many issues and I wanna ask you so many uh, questions, but let me just build on what you just said because you also mentioned that like no matter what you say, you have participated with your brother and the rest of your friends and students. I think I saw an image of you um, uh, and the students uh, uh, disrupting the uh, Thanksgiving parade. Um, I, I think you were at the university very active. And you also mentioned in your uh, piece that you uh, that was published in Counterpunch that whenever you say something, they just throw Hamas, Hamas, Hamas at you. 
But you're not there because you are supportive of what happened on October 7. Why are you there as a human being, regardless if you are Palestinian or Egyptian or American? Why people like you are actually in the street in the streets what is it what's the motivation was it the images of the young people uh, or the the kids being uh, bombed uh, surviving under the rubble with only one arm uh, and people digging what is it exactly that motivated all of you to take this chance of being labeled as uh, terrorists or supporters of terrorists and go to the streets well, I feel that perhaps the root of why we've all come out is that no matter what we say, no matter how much we record, no matter how many documents or videos there are of the deaths and abuse of children, elderly men, women, everyone else, our opposition, the Zionists, will always feel, and they have made it very clear that since October 7th, they feel that the blood of 30,000 Palestinians is less than the blood of those killed on October 7th. And they feel that what is happening in Gaza and in the West Bank and now in Lebanon, and now in Yemen, they feel that it is, they're not looking for justice, they're looking for retribution. And they feel that our deaths, my, my father's people's deaths, the deaths of the Palestinian people and the Yemen people and the Lebanese people, they feel that it is, not only adequate retribution, but they consider it collateral damage. At the root of all of this, they consider the lives of these people collateral damage compared to those killed on October 7th. And that is a disconnect in the way they see other human beings simply because the land they were born on and the people they were raised by. And that's why we're coming to the streets because there is a disconnect in how they see our people, the Palestinian people as human beings, not just inevitable deaths, collateral damage. Uh, on radio, uh, this is True Talk, and we're gonna uh, we are talking to Julia Bouchard, who's a Palestinian, Egyptian, American, uh, was born in the U.S., grew up here. She's 20 years old, and um, she is raising her voice about what is going on 
not only in Palestine, but as she just mentioned, also in Lebanon and Yemen. And she wrote the wonderful piece, Please Go to Counterpunch, A Voice That Doesn't Belong, Perspective of an American-Born Palestinian. When did you realize that there was something wrong with the background of your family? Because, for instance, when I was young, my parents never sat us at the table when I was growing up in Kuwait and say, hey, good morning, uh, we are Palestinian, and this happened to us in 1948, and this is what happened to us in 1967. They never actually said anything. I just felt that there was something wrong. How did, how did you uh, go through that feeling? How did you grow up saying, because you also mentioned it in your uh, wonderful piece, you knew that there was something wrong. How did you come about to know it, and how did you learn more about it? Well, there weren't many direct conversations about, um, there were some conversations and mentions of where my father's side of the family came from, but there weren't many, there weren't many direct conversations of what they went through and what happened on their land and what is still happening on their land. Um, my um, my father's side of the family lives in a different part of the country than my mother's, so I suppose it could also be inopportune timing. There never seemed to be a time for us all to sit down and discuss our ethnicity and what that means given the displacement and the Nakba. Um, but as, I guess, a young person, um, in this generation, um, the information, most of the information that I gather on world events is from the internet and the news and looking those things up for myself. And I began to realize that there was something wrong. I wasn't quite sure the extent of the conflict, I but I remember very distinctly one day I saw a news article about an entire village in Palestine being bulldozed down. And I think that was the distinct moment where I was shocked that this was not only something that happened, but something that happened a few days before I'd read the article, that it was current news. And that was the moment where I realized I need to learn more about this because this is happening to the people of my father's side of the family, and by extension, my people. Julia, very much your courage and uh, really uh, talking about this and being uh, brave uh, about uh, this. Uh, do you have any family left in uh, Jerusalem? Because I think you mentioned that your father uh, was born in West Jerusalem. Do you still yes. have any family? Well, no. Um, my father and his parents were born in Jerusalem. Um, my father left um, Jerusalem, Palestine um, for um, higher education and his parents eventually moved as well. So um, currently um, they live in America. I want to thank you very much, Julia, for being on uh, True Talk. And again, this is a young Palestinian American uh, Egyptian, and she wrote a wonderful, wonderful, touching 
um, beautiful piece on counterpunch and the name is uh, the title a voice that doesn't belong perspective of an american born palestinian thank you julia and hopefully inshallah you will be dr uh, julia uh, you're studying medicine thank you for being on true talk i really appreciate you yes of course thank you for having me my pleasure um and uh, my co-host ahmed and i are wrapping up but uh anything going on locally i know that there were so many buses that went from uh, tampa and southwest florida and all of florida ahmed and went to the uh, demonstration in washington dc tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of Palestinian um, were there and supportive of Pal supporters of Palestine and Palestinians because I personally know so many Americans who went there who have no relation whatsoever to the Middle East or to the Arab world um, but it seems right it was it seemed hundreds of thousands and right away um, on the hundred day anniversary of President Biden issued his statement without a single Not mention a word. of yeah. Palestinians or the suffering of the tens of, of the thousands of people that were killed in Gaza. It's all falling on deaf ears. It was uh, discussed on the Senate floor by some of the senators who were surprised and dismayed by how many, the number of people that were in the streets. And he somehow thinks all those people are misinformed and are ignorant and they have it wrong because in his words, he thinks it's actually the other way around, that you know Israel is the victim in all of this. And this is what he said on the Senate floor. It just tells you that the establishment is out of touch with uh, the country and with mm -hmm. the people, because definitely opinion polls say otherwise, especially as, um, as you get to younger uh, generations. Mm -hmm. They don't see it. It's actually the other way around. They think that Israel is the oppressor. Palestinians are the oppressed. To, to many surprise, some people even think that, you know, in America, American polling, young people like are uh, supporting groups like Hamas and they think they're legitimate. And this is really shocking to uh, lawmakers. This is not the view that we're, we're this is what polling is showing across the country. And we're talk when we're talking to some analysts, um, they're asking why. One, of course, that younger people are watching, you know, the images and of what's the atrocities coming out of um, Gaza. But also Americans, they like what's like the underdog. They like, mm -hmm. you know, they like to root for the, you know, the weaker person, you know, because Israel is no longer is an underdog. They're the most powerful military in the Middle East. Young people know that. They have all these weapons. They have F-16 fighter jets and the most sophisticated technologies and missiles and cluster bombs. Whatever weapon exists. In fact, they even have nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And then you're talking about a, a population that is besieged um, and they have nowhere to go. And uh, somebody said it's like shooting fish into a, you know, in a barrel. They have nowhere to go, but somehow we're out of time and we okay. have to wrap it up here. This has been True Talk on WMNF, WMNF Tampa. We'll see you at the same time, same place next week here Shop. every Thursday at noon, actually 12.06 exactly. Summer, you have the last word in 10 seconds. Yes, we are uh, live on uh, my Twitter account, Samar, S-A-M-A-R-D-D.
J-A-R-R-A-H, you can see Ahmed and I and Julia and Russia uh, in person. <laughs> you can see Have us. a good weekend.